0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud-native DevOps. These episodes are edited down, audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, my guest is Eric Felt, a manager of developer advocacy at HashiCorp, the makers of many of our favorite open source tools like Terraform and Vault. They also make Nomad, which is an orchestrator like Kubernetes and Swarm, but it has a unique set of features that make it an interesting alternative on multiple levels. I guess you could call it a multi-server workload orchestrator because it's not just for containers. It's also for non-container apps and even creating and managing virtual machines. It's known for having a much simpler infrastructure design than Kubernetes and also having a stronger community and feature release cycle than Swarm. We get into all that in this episode, and we do include some demos of the running workloads and how to configure them and start them and look at the web UI and all that. We do that in the video version of this on YouTube, so check the podcast notes if you're interested in the demos. Eric takes us through the basics of Nomad, the infrastructure design, the unique things that it can do, and more. I've wanted to do a Nomad show for years, years, (laughs) and I'm grateful that Eric was able to be on the show answer a bunch of questions that I had and also others joining via the live stream. In a world where Kubernetes drowns out most of the news about other ways we might distribute and control our workloads, it was great to take a step back and think about alternative ways to manage all those server apps. Thanks for listening and please enjoy this episode on the Nomad Project with Eric Veld of HashiCorp. Hello, welcome to the show this week I want to talk nomad and I was very lucky to get Eric Veld on the show, all the way from the Netherlands. Thank you for being here. Yep.
1: My pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. And it's nice to see other people from the Netherlands joining as well.
0: Yeah, you got some locals. You're bringing all
1: the people. Hello,
0: everyone. We've got Germany, we've got India, we've got people from the States. It's just, yeah. We're, it's great to be international here. So we all have container orchestration problems. So Eric, you're at HashiCorp now, right? You're a developer advocate. Tell us the brief history of you getting to HashiCorp, because it's kind of one of those things where we all use HashiCorp tools. We maybe don't interact with HashiCorp directly.
1: Yeah, we hear that like from some com- communities where it's like, wait, you make Terraform? I know Terraform. It's, they know the tools. They don't always know the company behind it. So yeah, it's always nice when they then learn that, oh, and we're actually using that as well and that as well. It's been just over three years now that I'm at HashiCorp and before that I used to do a lot of development. I've done front-end, back-end uh, development, I've done design and infrastructure as well. And that's what eventually led me to, to HashiCorp because I was doing more and more infrastructure at one of the startups I was working at and started to do consulting. and. At that consultancy company, they used a lot of HashiCorp tools. So we used console for all the service discovery and Terraform to create all the infrastructure and I became a big fan of the tools. And then through another startup that I was creating for like a learn platform, I I started creating tracks or like learn guides on some HashiCorp tooling and worked together with someone that I now work together with Nick Jackson and I was such an enjoyable experience that I thought, there's an opening, why not just apply for it? And then, yeah, that's how I ended up here. Nice. It's been a crazy ride.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's that's actually a pretty good story because it's almost like you you found what you liked and you went after it, and then you actually got a job there, so that's, that's always a good... It's always a good, happy ending there. All right. So do you focus on all of the HashiCorp tools or do you have, you're not a Um, Nomad project specific person, right? Like you're a...
1: No, not everybody on our team does all of the tools. Like some are more in depth in some of them and try to specialize on that. I'm more of a generalist where I love to just do as many things as possible. So I pretty much focus on all of our tools and then Nomad has a a position in my heart because I've been basically creating content for that since 0.2, even while I was working at the consultancy. So always stayed close to Nomad.
0: (laughs) Right. And we were talking before the show that Nomad as a tool you know if i could index all of the ca- captioning for all the shows we've had here every week that nomad has mentioned many 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 times but strangely i, I realized we would never had demos we never really got into the differentiators of it like when would you decide to use this what can it do what can it not do was it optimized for and those are all questions i still have years later sadly and yeah. w- one of my goals for today and for those of you watching is to You know, I'm a little selfish on this show. I'm learning too. I'm so Eric's here to, to not just break it down for me. So we're going to focus on questions as we're going through some of these discussions and demos so we can get that feedback. Probably we just need to have like a review episode. That's like all the HashiCorp tools because there's a continual growing. You know, it's one of those things where no one has anything bad to say about any of the HashiCorp tools. You all are sort of batting a thousand on tooling because every time something comes out, you know, Packer's a thing that I'm sure there's probably someone that will visit today that's probably using Packer. We all use Terraform. Vault is a standard in the industry. It is almost like the standard by which all others are judged for secret storage. It just goes down, you go down this list and it's just like hit after hit after hit. But today we only get to focus on one because we don't have enough time to cover all these excellent tools. So as we get into obviously Kubernetes has been a big topic on this show for years. I was a Swarm fan early on, and there was this moment in container orchestration where I feel like we, like most people still didn't know what an orchestrator was. We all had maybe heard of Docker, but we, we didn't really know what to do when we had more than a few Docker servers, and we had to figure out a way to deal with that. And I'm assuming that's around the time that nomad got started but do you know the origin story like how the project came to be
1: so i know where it comes from right most of the hashicorp tools all have like a a history in trying to solve a problem that the the founders Armin and mitchell Mm -hmm. had while trying to build like um, either a platform like we we used to have um, a platform called atlas and loads of those tools were actually built to support that platform, right? It's Mm. you run into a problem and, oh, how do I solve this? Okay. Nothing's there. We need to build something. And right around the time of Nomad, it was mostly when people were using Mesos Marathon and like the most famous thing was Borg, right? right? What Google was running internally. And that's actually what Nomad is based on. It's based on papers of Borg and Omega, which are both white papers made by Google around schedulers, and then especially very performant schedulers because it's optimistic with its scheduling. Okay. I've been trying this whole week to try to figure out what my first
0: experience with Nomad was, but it was probably during the orchestration wars as it are now known. It's you know, <laughs> a documentary, have you seen that? There's a Kubernetes documentary out there. that's pretty great, a two-parter on YouTube that it's like the basis for how we got to containers, what containers did in orchestration. But I feel like my only real test was, or trial with it was like early days when I was trying everything and didn't really know what to use. And I'm sure that it is a ton of new features and functionality compared to since then. Do you have like a good elevator pitch for what it does and doesn't do or what, it, what its goal is as a product?
1: I think a huge differentiator of Nomad compared to, the other orchestrators, um, like especially Kubernetes is that Kubernetes is very focused on scheduling containers, but Nomad is actually built so it can schedule anything, right? You can run your binaries directly. Uh, You can run Java applications on a a JVM and it can schedule that. It can do basically anything you would want to, because you can actually extend the task drivers, which I'm going to show later in one of those demos is we're going to schedule something really weird that you wouldn't normally be able to schedule. And like that to me is one of the most powerful things because I I don't know if you've had that experience where you sometimes have a project and it's like, all right, we're moving to containers. How do you put this thing in a container? Mm -hmm. Right? Sometimes these legacy applications, for instance, are really hard to containerize because they're just weird in how they function. And that's like a unique position where Nomad is like one of the only things that could actually do this, besides also running containers, right? And doing all the other modern things.
0: This is, I'm a huge container fan. Right, <laughs> Ch- Changed my whole career when containers, sort of like the new definition of Docker containers was invented, because yeah. I was just so taken aback by how elegant that problem was solved. And I think part of my instructions, my teaching nowadays is sort of teaching those people that are new to containers, especially people that are coming out of school, Right, that are new to the problem set that DevOps often tries to solve is explaining how we got here because maybe they haven't experienced the problems of tons of infrastructure pre-container. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what it looks like to run containers, by things that aren't containers and sort of manage them all together. Those were years ago when we were pre-container, we were all chef, puppet, we were all trying to use these tools. And I talk a lot about using we started to use VMs as the isolation layer. So we would deploy a new VM for a new tool, you know, a new website, we were running a PHP or a new Java app that we would just provision VMs for each one of these things. And we'd cobble them together on networks and how containers kind of completely changed all of that. But there's another part of this that also I don't feel like everyone fully understand, including myself, is this writes on top of console, right? There's a, that's sort of the database backend
1: layer So no, Nomad actually runs entirely individually, but you can use console to add additional features to it. So for instance, if for service discovery, et cetera, or a key value store where you want to store data, you would use console to actually do that for you. And Nomad automatically picks up the console agent that's running locally. And then it's like, oh, okay. I can now register services. In a future version of Nomad, we're actually working on even building a simple Serves discovery and key value store and secret store inside of Nomad itself. Mm-hmm. So then you don't need any of the other tools to basically give you, well, your Swarm equivalent.
0: Right. I was getting ready to say, this starts to sound like Swarm a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Before the show, there's, it's funny because like Robot Glock is saying, Brett was the last Swarm advocate. <laughs> but I was more in love with the idea of Swarm than actually Swarm itself. And it was, you know, the idea that secure by default, simple to configure for smaller clusters. In a lot of ways we've got all these other tools like Nomad and K3S and like we've got a lot of attempts. And I don't know. At some point maybe during a demo, maybe we should do this where at a future version of this where you have all that included, I will give it like the Swarm pass and say, okay, I now I now anoint you <laughs> as the official Swarm replacement for those that have very small requirements. They're not looking to make a bunch of Helm charts or Kubernetes manifests in a template engine. And they're just really trying to maintain an individual with small amounts of infrastructure. And they're not trying to Kubernetes, everything. I'm always looking for tools like that, right? because i I do think yeah. that even with all of the great Kubernetes deployment tools we now have, and you know things are getting better all the time. But I, I still don't like everything being one thing. and I still like the idea of like different opinions of tools. So I'm always excited to hear like Nomad getting new releases, seeing the the commits still staying strong with the project because i I do think we need Kubernetes sort of happened, and it's not going to be the last thing we all invent for how to organize workloads. So I'm always interested in the, the, the differencing opinions of it. What else would you talk to someone about where they're, they're relatively new to containers, they're implementing workloads, they're sort of figuring out their Docker file approach, they're trying to maybe build a compose file where they're trying to get their database and front ends working together, and now they're realizing the problem of multiple servers. What are some other things that would maybe make Nomad stand out or how they would decide whether or not they wanted to look into Nomad?
1: I think one of the nice things when starting out with Nomad and those new features I just mentioned are just going to make that even more so is it's a single binary for that is both the server and you can run it as the client as well. So you can just put that binary on a machine, start it up with either configure it as a server or client or both and have it cluster up. I think that is really, really nice. And some people say always that Nomad is simpler because of that single binary compared to Kubernetes, which has all these sure. components, but operating it at, at scale is still more difficult than, than if it's just really launched that binary and it, it'll work on all those machines. Right now we right. need console to give you the service discovery, etc. So I think for, for people starting out, the nice thing is you can just grab the binary, run it in dev mode. It'll bootstrap itself and it'll give you a cluster that you can then Schedule things on locally, which makes it easy to dip your toes in. I, I know we were talking about the what's it called? Try, try Docker.io, or oh, play with Docker, right? Play, play with, with Docker, Docker. Yeah. yeah, It's kind of like that, but instead of it being in the the browser, you could just grab the binary, start it, and then schedule anything you want. You can do Nomad in it; it will give you an example job with Redis, and you can start that up and. Yeah. Have something up and running within five minutes. Nice. We have a
0: couple of questions. Someone said Nomad comes with Knative. I think that's a question. M- no.
1: Knative <laughs> is Kubernetes native. <laughs> that's what the K is for. There are projects where like people have created open FAS plugins, like where you can schedule that on top of Nomad. I'd have to look those up though, but maybe someone else can point at that uh, documentation, but you can do like Spawn kind of like functions on on demand, right? Yeah, K Native
0: being the serverless platform for Kubernetes, right? Yeah, um, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's like yeah. The Lambda on top of uh, Kubernetes,
0: right? So, what does the name Nomad mean? Uh, also, maybe like the origin of of the name? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it basically comes from. The idea of workloads migrating, like from one machine to another machine. So you have like the nomads in the desert, right? With the, the camels moving from one place to another. Yeah,
0: that's how I always thought of it too. Is sort of they don't really have a dedicated home; they move around. No,
1: they're yeah, they're so. transient in your cluster, right? Like right, machines right. come and go, and then workloads have to move. Yeah. I think that uh, throughout the
0: years, I have found a lot of Nomad fans out there. And I'm shameful to admit that I don't remember the last time I even did like a Hello World on Nomad. I know you brought some demos. What are some of the things you can show us today?
1: I wanted to show you like a variety of things we can schedule. We're just going to try a whole bunch. I don't know how many did I? One, two, three, four, five, seven different things, eight actually, because we're going to obviously schedule a container as well for you. So I I thought we'd we'd start there and just see whatever comes up question-wise and just explore what we have.
0: Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features, and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio-only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, Check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. I have a, I have a quick question. Go ahead. Is that is the GUI built into the Nomad binary? Is it is it running that as something yep. separate? Oh,
1: okay. No, that's built into the binary. So whenever you start the, the server, it'll also spin up slash UI here. So, so that's
0: that same endpoint is also, I guess, the API you're talking to?
1: Yes. Yeah, Um, it's
0: basically, it's got one listening port, it sounds like, right? And everything.
1: uh, Well, it has multiple. So it has 4646 and 4647 because it also does gossip to to basically exchange information about which nodes are down and things like that, right? Like membership and then all the nodes forward messages as well. So I can talk to any of the nodes and get information because they'll just forward it to the, the server.
0: Okay. Now, in this case, we're not running console, right?
1: I am actually running console. Oh, okay. So I'm just running console in a separate container next to my cluster, and I've configured Nomad to point at that cluster, right? So it it just knows like, all right, console is there, and then all the clients have a local agent that they automatically pick up and can register things with. Right, okay.
0: The question, assume everything in the GUI can be done via the CLI and is scriptable.
1: Yes, yeah, like I I mostly, by myself, use either Terraform to do everything or the CLI, and I just use the UI like to view things because it's just quicker to click through a UI to see if your allocations are all right than writing 10 commands, right?
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there's, yeah, there's a time, there's a time for both, plus as much as we all like command line GUIs, it's just sometimes nice to bring up something in a browser and look at it visually. (laughs) With the co- with the pretty yes. colors. All right, and you're running all this in containers, but that's, but you don't have to. This is not something where we no, have to. No, this is this, just right? for my yeah. setup,
1: so I can quickly throw everything away. Normally, you would just run this on virtual machines, right? Right, or or bare metal.
0: Right. So technically, there's a way for someone to just run this, like you're saying, on bare metal or a cloud VM or whatever, and containers aren't ever actually involved. Right. Nomad could be yeah, started up on the system. The nomad resources that it starts could be not containers. That's, I think that's an interesting distinction is that teams that are not yet fully containerized could possibly use this orchestration for their current workloads. And then as they containerize those workloads, they don't have to switch to a different cluster or a different tool. They can just keep using the same thing. Do you see that happening a lot with uh, users?
1: Yeah. I think it's a really nice way to migrate as well. Let's say you're using system D on VMs, right. Then switching to, running your simple binaries or JVM tasks using nomad. You then are not locked to those specific machines anymore. You basically go from, uh, machines being unique to being, well, there has to be a machine that can run this and it right. doesn't matter which one it is. But then from there, once you start like breaking parts off your monolith, You can then either containerize them or, or not. It doesn't matter so much anymore. You can then spread them over multiple machines. Right. And then using things like service mesh, you can even do a slowly traffic splitting towards the new version from the monolith, et cetera. So it's a really nice way to go from non-containerized workloads to containerized workloads, and even keep some of the workloads that you might not want to containerize or, or can't. Like I once did a demo for a a bank where I was running a COBOL applications with Nomad and that works fine. But I don't think a lot of people would want to like dockerize COBOL applications. You you could, but it it's a bit weird.
0: All right. I think that that freedom of choice is an interesting distinction that I'm trying to think in my world, because I'm all in on containers, but I definitely see a group of people that come to my trainings and and they've already established a well-oiled, streamlined approach to updating their apps, deploying their apps, keeping them fresh, whatever tools they're using, probably Terraform. And they don't, they're basically recreating all that inside of a container workflow and they don't really see the value. There's other things that containers can bring to the table, but they don't, they're looking for like an, an approach that gives them immediate return on investment. And a lot of times with containers, you can't always do that if you're already in a well, if you're already deploying every day, VMs are very isolated, you've got all that refined and your approach is simplified so that you're essentially solving a lot of the same problems containers are without having containers. It's an interesting, it's an interesting point here that Sometimes I just kind of have to shrug to those people and say, well, I, I don't know I'm a container guy so you're just gonna have to do containers <laughs> but now I can now this is like well maybe you don't you could just keep doing what you're doing use some HCL, and you can now sort of you know a lot of us we were bash scripting and writing Ruby for <laughs> chef and puppet and all this stuff back in the day so a lot of times teams just it's not broke they're not looking to fix it or they
1: they're too scared to actually touch it because it, it mm. might actually break and then they don't know how to fix it.
0: Right. I am very curious about the console functionality in that demo. What was console doing there that we needed it for?
1: So console does multiple things in this scenario. So it does node health checking for us, right? If we're interested in seeing, okay, what is, which nodes are, are healthy. And we could do reporting on that if we want to, but what I use it for is service discovery and then also routing. So the nice thing about. Like service mesh is an overused term and I personally don't really like it. Like I just see it as like a modern way to just do networking right. that provides several things such as that service discovery, observability, security, et cetera. Right. So it's using a service mesh now, but the things I want out of it is MTLS between all of my tasks. So everything is secure. You cannot talk to any of the nomad jobs in this setup that I've made without being on that service mesh. So it's nice and secure and any of the tasks can find any of the other tasks. So that's what I mostly use it for. And then a nice addition as well is that I can actually add what we call intentions. And you can see that a little bit as like firewall rules between applications or services. So instead of specifying, oh, this port is open from this IP, I can say Ingress can talk to Minecraft server, right? And then I can set it to allow, and then I can create another rule where it's like all services to all services deny. So now the only thing allowed to talk in this environment is Ingress to Minecraft server. Mm. And no matter where these applications are running, they can uh, still reach each other. And we have that security built in. We don't have to update all the firewall rules. Just uh, one server went down. Now all the IPs are wrong.
0: Right. Okay. There's a question around Nomad and console in the same cluster. I'm an infrastructure person, right? Like I come at this from an ops perspective traditionally. And so what does the architecture of this look like? Are we dealing with like, three for load balancing kind of approaches like we do with etcd And so
1: in a production environment, I would have quorum of a nomad and console just because you don't want one node to go down and then you have to wait for the node to come back up to do service discovery or something like, like that. Right. All of this works with leadership election. So you want at least three, three nodes now, depending on your scale, you could run the nomad servers and the console servers on the same machines. It really depends on the, the shape of your, your load, right? If they're both consuming the same resources, then obviously that's a bad thing to do. But if your workloads don't migrate that often, yeah. or you, you don't constantly deploy new things, there's no, no real risk in having those things together. But if you do have a, an environment where it is very heavy load, then obviously you would want to split those out, put them in auto scaling groups and pretty much what you would do with any clustering software.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so Quorum being two of three nodes, right? Or three or five or whatever. The the console stuff with the firewall rules, what what was this called? Sorry. Intentions. Intentions. Not necessarily always firewall rules, I guess, but is this similar to network policies in Kubernetes?
1: Network policies in Kubernetes, and please correct me if I remember incorrectly, cause it's been a few years since I, sure. I've played with them, but I believe those are between namespaces, right? So you set up network policies on a namespace where you allow traffic on certain ports from other namespaces. This is on a service to servers. So it doesn't matter which namespace or where it's running. It'll work no, no matter what.
0: Okay. Is there a concept of namespaces in Nomad? Is that a Yeah, a so layer?
1: The, there are namespaces. So you can either use namespaces to isolate like resource usage, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, we want to limit this team to not use all the, the RAM on the machine. Or if you use console, you can have the network namespacing as well.
0: Cool. One question I have, uh, there is a console hosted solution, right?
1: Yeah. You could use HCP console as as well and connect Nomad to that.
0: Yeah, I was I was actually wondering about that. I didn't look it up in the docs, but before we went live, I was kind of thinking about well, if 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 you wanted the advantages of of console, but you didn't want to run it yourself, is there a in the world of swarm and Kubernetes, we always had like uh, you needed the ten millisecond connectivity between all your nodes, a well connected flat network, all these kind of things. Do those kind of limitations or concepts come into play as well with Nomad? Does it have is it designed around like a well connected data center? Can you put nodes anywhere on the planet? What are some of those? So restrictions
1: within like your server quorum, you would still ideally have those nearby just to get the latency as low as possible and have like the, the truth be as up to, up to date as possible. We are actually adding in like one of the upcoming versions where you could have sort of like edge nodes that could be out of communication from time to time, but they would still be managing their own little tasks. And then once they have connectivity again, they'll just call back in and then update, check if anything needs to change. And you can also have multiple clusters federated together where you can send a command to one cluster and it'll just send it all over when or however you want to yeah. another cluster and sc- schedule things there. The, the latency is not an issue there as much.
0: The we've answered some of the the infrastructure questions I've had around like the setup and the design because I, I think a lot of people their minds are like if I've got to run all this myself what are the different pieces I have that I need so really what we're saying is console nomad nomad's a single binary I I guess console single binary as well
1: yep all our tools are single yeah. binary
0: and. If I'm going to be doing production, we talked about that. We need three nodes, just like we do with Kubernetes, SCD, Swarm, any of these, they all follow the same principles of uh, Quorum. High
1: availability, right?
0: Yeah. And then after that, my console, I guess you're saying it runs in server mode or in agent mode is that's kind of like a, a startup flag.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just like you would with the the nomad agent, you can mm-hmm. run it either as a, a server or a client. So console, that would be the, the same. So. The way I usually run it is I have a auto scaling group. And then, as I said, depending on the size, let's just assume we're a small shop. I would just have three nodes with nomad running as a server and console running as a server. So that's my cluster basically for service discovery and scheduling. And then I'd have a second auto scaling group with my clients and they would just have the nomad binary running as a client and console running as an agent. And then nomad handles the communication like from nomad to console to register the the things you you don't have to think about console in the cluster
0: right right so those are yeah those are happening on each os each node i guess and and it's yeah one's talking to the other in the world where you're like you're not doing containers yet you're running these things directly on host so i'm assuming they're using the host networking there's not any emulation layer or We're not using C groups and
1: namespaces here when we're using
0: just binaries, or is that still an option? No, it does. Okay.
1: So that's one of the, let me just hop into that one. So the exec driver actually uh, encapsulates, isolates your task in like C groups, kind of like container, but without all the other stuff around it. Right? Sure. So it namespaces it. And then the networking is actually also uh, namespaced and Encapsulated, so it uses the bridge networking, so it's isolated from the host, like using IP tables, etc, to do the the routing, okay. but they are isolated, so you could just grab a binary like fake services is one I always use for my demos. it's just a go binary, and I can just basically grab the zip file and it'll run that for me, like I could just say run that it'll basically create my ch root and then put the binary in there run it for me. If you wanted to run something not isolated, you could do a raw exec, which just basically runs it without the isolation. So in case you need something on the host machine, you can do that, but obviously it's less less secure.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Just the other week, I don't know. It wasn't maybe last week. It was a couple weeks ago on the show. uh, I kind of went on a rant, a soapbox around languages and frameworks and that i feel like a lot of us in the i don't know i'm going to say the cloud native ecosystem whatever that term is for all of us that are sort of trying to be on the leading edge the tip of the spear kind of stuff a lot of us we were moving languages to go rust and these statically compiled languages which traditionally in computing was not seen it in a positive light over the last thirty years because we always wanted library reuse. We wanted to, you know, internet was slow, hard drives were limited, like all these limitations in, in infrastructure and hardware that we don't have today because we, those limitations aren't really there in most cases. And so this is an interesting paradigm you're displaying here with the the exec and the raw exec where. If you're a team that's moved to something where they're, you're statically compiling and you're shipping single binaries and each one of your apps is a single binary, a lot of the problems that containers were designed around, right? The, like Python apps, any of these dynamically compiled languages yeah. where we're using Node.js or... We're using Python. Something that PHP.
1: creates a lot of stuff that you need yeah. to bundle, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you're shipping 100,000 files with every image, right? You're just, it comes yeah. down as a tarball, but you're shipping so many files that there's really no other way to guarantee it until the idea of container images where I feel like that we had that these ideas in the different communities, package JSON. We had these ideas, but they were very language and ecosystem specific. And Docker sort of came out and said, hey, we're going to create a universal standard for bundling your app and all its dependencies. But if your build is building all those dependencies in the binary itself, you know, we're not talking serverless yet, but in this case, you almost could say, well, your GitHub download URL is essentially your registry. And that's because that's what you're showing, right? You're like downloading it from essentially a system that hosts your code, but also has file download capabilities in their package formats. And you can remove the complexity of the Docker file and you start building a very similar model, it sounds like, and you're like, yeah, 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 Brett, catch up. I know you're just thinking that to yourself, but I'm now <laughs> sort of realizing you're now, you're taking the lessons learned from containers of a, a an isolated artifact. Essentially these binaries you're showing are artifacts and you're shipping those in a controllable way where you can guarantee the version, you can replace them when they need to be, you can dynamically spin up and spin down. And these all seem to be like the concepts of containers, but you're able to do that because you chose a language And that's an important distinction I want to make here because we have people in the audience from probably every language ecosystem. And a lot of times I get people that are asking about where should I be looking to the future? And I feel like if we could just take a sidebar moment, talk about, I feel like these statically compiled languages and the trend of doing so of, because obviously these languages don't have to be statically compiled. They can be treated like other languages. You can
1: pull in a whole Git repo as well, right? Like the the source can just be the actual Git uh, clone link. You can put that in, it'll pull in anything you want, but ideally it's one binary, right? That's just the nicest way to ship it. Yeah,
0: the only dependency I have on that binary is I need a kernel. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Because if, if we clone down Git repos, even though you can do that, I feel like that's the world we came from, which was yes. I download my NPM, I have to get the right node version. I download my app. Now I got to do dependency management. And if I'm in something like Ruby or PHP or Python, I now need system dependencies as well as app dependencies. And, I, and yeah. now we're all down this rabbit hole of dependency hell, which I'm actually creating another video to remind people about dependency hell, because that's where we came from.
1: I feel we're sometimes still in it with Python and node. <laughs> Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. And especially if you're someone who's trying to ship multiple versions. That's what got us to containers to begin with, is I wanted to ship my Python 2.7 app and then also a Python 3.9 app and not have them interfere. But if we're in an ecosystem now where of sort of the the languages that people are choosing out of the box now are more often, not necessarily the majority, I'm not gonna claim that, but more often these statically compiled languages like Go and Rust, it seems yeah. like something like this could exist and you could have a very streamlined DevOps workflow that's fully automated and scales up and scales down, but you never used containers, <laughs> which- Exactly. Which is interesting because I've been telling people for a while that we don't have a really, we don't have anything better than containers yet. Like serverless isn't a replacement for containers to, in my opinion, and no, we it's, don't No, it's ha- a
1: different architecture, right? It's all yeah. something different.
0: Yeah, and you have to rewrite for that. You can't just yeah. take an old monolith and put it there. But if you're yeah. rewriting your code, and you're not ready for serverless, or you don't think that's going to fit the the mold for exactly what you're doing. I could almost see where you could argue, well, just skip containers, use something like Nomad, statically compile everything, and Go or Rust or whatever you're like C plus plus. You can do that too. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can Cobol all your your way to everything. But the idea is, if you don't have dependencies, and that's the key, as I want people to understand, like dependencies are the problem. One of the biggest problems that Docker tried to solve was dependency management.
1: It's a language question mostly, right? If I'm going to do something in, in JavaScript, right, I'm going to use a container because I want all that stuff to be packaged away where I don't see it. Python, same thing. I don't want to have all those dependencies on, on my machines, but go or rust, right, as long as I pick the right architecture, it'll run, right. I just need the binary. There's no sense in containerizing a. Go binary, because what is the difference between that or running it isolated?
0: Right. So when you're showing those exec jobs and stuff, you probably showed it and in, in sort of covered it or scrolled through it at least already. Are you controlling versions through like download URLs or is there like a concept of it? Because you know, with, we have tags with images, right? So that yeah. we understand this is the version I want you to download. Is it more raw? Like just basically it's the download
1: URL and specify? Well, that depends on how you want to uh, do it. So. The library used in the background for our artifact is go-getter. so go-getter supports things like versioning through the URLs. So if you're pulling from a Git repo, you can use Git ref to get a specific version. If I'm pulling in a binary, I can just put it in here and just template it out with a variable, for instance, that I pass into my nomad job. I could specify just like you would in Terraform. I could put variables at the top of my file pass them in when I run them and then be like, okay, I wanna template out the version to whatever I pull in. Like that's how I would do versioning in this case, because with a Docker image, it's not much different. You're still specifying basically the the link to where it is on Docker Hub, right? With a version. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, in fact, when I, I built some tools for our classes and so I'm pulling in a lot of these cloud native tools into sort of a container, a troubleshooting container, we call it Pod or shapod, however you want to say it. And that's largely what the Dockerfile ends up being, is I'm just downloading pre-built, probably Golang binaries that (laughs) I have to specify the version at the top of the Dockerfile in environment variable format. And then I'm just downloading binaries one by one, where the Dockerfile at that point kind of loses its value because everything in there is very... It's a lot of, it looks like shell script at the end of the day. I'm just, da- I'm downloading things. I'm yeah. moving them to the bin directory. I'm marking them executable. I'm doing a lot of this work and it sounds like this exec in nomad could possibly just do that for me.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> Cause I think like when you're running things that are complicated, I don't know. I want to run some old Java WAR file on Tomcat, right? That's mm. probably when I would just use the the default Tomcat image and then specify your jar file and then, or wire file, and you're, you're good to go, right? It right. makes sense because you're actually using those base images for something. But if you're just choosing from Alpine or from scratch, mm. putting in your binary, then you're doing a lot of extra work and creating additional artifacts right. to what you're already building. Artifacts it, to it, bundle my artifacts. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because I've often looked at the container image as the evolving format of like the universal package manager that everything should be put in. So it sometimes when you're like me and you like a container is the hammer that I hammer every, you know, everything looks like a nail or whatever when you, all you have is a hammer. So we're getting some questions, but I know that you wanted from, (laughs) because I'm such a container fan, I'm assuming, is there like a Docker driver? Is this how this all plays out is instead of using an exec driver, we choose another driver that runs containers?
1: Yeah, the Redis task that I actually ran from inside Minecraft by smashing the computer, it just ran basically this file, which uses driver docker. And then the config is just the image that that I want to run and then specify which ports or volumes or whatever I want to mount in it. It's basically all the same. If you know the format of a job file, switching between the different task drivers is really easy and usually just boils down to specifying config.
0: Very cool. Is the Docker driver, does that imply that it's using the Docker daemon or can it be like container D directly or anything?
1: So there is also a container D uh, driver, if you want to specify that. And there's a a bunch of different flavors that people have made for all the different uh, variants.
0: Right. It sounds like test drivers is like the universal it's sort of the plug and play system for how exactly your workload gets started. Okay, so we've got yeah. Docker, Containerd, Exact, this raw Exact, like what other drivers? So
1: there's Java. Oh, let's. Right. Just go that's with, right, you mentioned that one, yep. So there's built-in, we have Kemu, so you can actually run virtual machines on top of Nomad. There's Potman, if you want the different flavors of, of Docker. Uh, Docker, obviously there's, I think, Containerd, Like there's a whole bunch of drivers already built in and then ones that the community has actually created for workloads that they want to run. So if you're stuck on windows with IIS apps, you could schedule your IIS apps on windows with Nomad. Yes, that's mentioning the system D in
0: spawn task driver. Yeah. Someone asked about, would Nomad be practical for use to spin up local dev environments? I'm trying to think how that would
1: work. So I I think, especially with those improvements that I talked about, right, With if everything's in the single binary, including like simple service discovery and key value store, I think it's actually a really interesting Docker Compose alternative, because it basically gives you Compose, but with more flexibility, because your Compose file would just be like your nomad task files, right, right or job files, and then you would run those and so you can do either batch or uh, system or any driver you want as well.
0: Yeah, there's some teams at HashiCorp doing that. So a related question, and this is a brand new thing, was at the Docker community event last week and saw Docker showing off Docker desktop extensions, which basically is plugins for the Docker desktop GUI that allow you to add extra functionality to Docker desktop. They're asking other plans for a Docker desktop extension for Nomad. So I guess the, how that would work would be Nomad would run in a Docker container. You...
1: I guess in a VM. Because that's what they do with Kubernetes, right? Like they spin up. Uh...
0: Yeah, it's a little mini VM, Linux VM in the background. Yeah, on Mac and well, yeah. on Windows, it's using WSL too. On Mac, it makes a little yeah, VM. They now yeah. have Docker Desktop for Linux that actually runs a Linux VM on your Linux desktop to run all the Docker Desktop stuff. Because they feel like if you're going to use Docker Daemon on Linux, like you're just going to use Docker D, like you're going to install the apt package, yeah, <laughs> and, and you're going to use that. But if you wanted, you wanted to isolate your Docker stuff and be able to remove it and add it and, and keep everything in sync with the rest of Docker Desktop tooling, it's probably going to be Makes in a VM. Sense. And I'm going to answer for you and just say I assume no, because I don't think anyone. I think there's well, very few people that actually have looked at an extension yet. They, they haven't even. I haven't it
1: thought as- about it yet, but. I have to look into how difficult it is, but otherwise I might just build it because it sounds kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah. Well, it's almost like a lot of the different
0: Kubernetes add-ons have sort of like the web GUIs and stuff have added sort of almost like a menu of choosing different things you want to install. And like MicroKates does this, the command line where you can enable all the different add-on functionalities and different resource options that it does. And I guess Docker desktop is trying to give those that you know, that sort of experience for Docker itself so that you don't have to go and get a bunch of command line tools that you can just click a couple of things. Like I think telepresence is one of them so that you can jump into a remote, use a remote cluster for development rather than your local machine or something. I'm not really sure. Actually telepresence is the v- VPN thing. I'm thinking of scaffolding telepresence is connected to a remote cluster for resource access. I think.
1: Anyway, well, wasn't that the debugging one or is that one called differently? There's too many tools. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same, I had the same problem. I know there's Troubleshoot
0: SH and there's Commodore. Those are troubleshooting tools. But yeah, so Docker Desktop Extensions, I guess that'll be a thing this year. So check it out.
1: <laughs> Great. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to look into it because it, I think it's always nice when people want to play with the tool. If they can just, I, I don't know if they would have to install the extension because that kind of makes the point moot. But if they could just like the way to do Kubernetes and then right. create cluster, like do that with Nomad for a local... Dev environment. I think that would actually be pretty cool, but I'll have to look into it.
0: But yeah, because today, like you have nomad, I assume in a container image. So I can always just do like a Docker run nomad slash nomad or something like that. And
1: I just do it locally. If I had to spin one up right now, I could just do agent dash dev and that'll spin up my nomad cluster and then I can talk to that Nomad cluster by pointing the CLI at that. And like by default, it has the, the Docker driver and like some of the other ones. So that's all you would have to do. That's the easiest way to get a dev environment up. And then I can just do Nomad in it. That's probably just as easy as going through the Docker desktop. Right. Um, but if you didn't want to use a terminal, you could go through Docker desktop, I guess, and spin it up and then open right. the UI. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I I haven't actually looked at the extension API, but I know that some people are creating uh, these extensions, like for ones for Dive, like the, the traditional image layer tooling. Like the, the I don't know if you ever use Dive tool, but it lets you look inside an image and what's inside each layer, and you can sort of diff the layers. And I've yeah, got... so so I think that there's it's like one part giving you sort of universal access to the Docker socket, so you, so you can use Docker from the add-on, but also it since it's all built into this. Electron GUI, I guess they have a framework that you can now build your Docker desktop GUI in the Docker desktop GUI itself, right? So much like a Visual Studio Code extension, I'd imagine. Um, Yeah. When you already have a Nomad web API or web interface, and I I don't know how, like why would that exist inside of the Docker desktop GUI, but maybe it's more of a discovery thing. Like it gives people a way to discover the tool rather than having to stumble on the Nomad project directly. Well no, that's,
1: an, that's why I said it, if you need to install the extension it doesn't help because then the right. discovery <laughs> right they'll need to know that yeah i think it's they're
0: adding sort of a list so I, i'm guessing that it'll just pull some sort of manifest from docker hub or something and i guess there'll be an approved list of extensions that are already like listed cuz they they showed that in a demo last week is not that we're, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole but that's okay where <laughs> they showed this demo where basically there will be ones that show up and in the list, like you just go into Docker Desktop GUI and there's a bunch in there already. They're not installed, but you're just sort of one-click installing those yeah, extensions. Yeah, you can at least see them. They're almost, yeah, I guess they're turning Docker Desktop into an extension store. Yeah. Docker we'll Marketplace. Yeah, we'll see. Market, another Marketplace. This is a question I actually had before the show. Is there going to be an HTTP nomad?
1: <laughs> I can't say anything about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just wait and see, I guess. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Cause that would kind of make you like a cloud hoster, I guess. Yeah. Or maybe it would be a
1: centralized, console for. I would love it. Like, internet. I think that would be really cool to have like just a control plane and just add your own clients. I think that would be really dope.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You pick your own cloud and you run it from a centralized system that, and we've done something a little bit like this for Kubernetes, uh, Docker actually did this, something like this for a while, I think called Docker cloud. I was actually a big fan of that. Yeah, bring your own infrastructure. Basically, I mean, Terraform Cloud does this, right? Like you bring your own infrastructure and you control it for Terraform Cloud. So,
1: yeah, yeah and HCP like console involved is the the same. Right? Like you don't have to think about running the cluster. You just bring your own nodes, and then right, you get the capabilities without having the the struggles of running things. Right? Making sure that there's updates and maintenance. Right.
0: Very cool. Hey, audio listener, it turns out we did another demo. So this is where we cut that one out to. Apart from Sentinel, is there any other way to manage policy management for Nomad open source?
1: I guess you could use OPA, right? Like just check, I don't know, the the files and things with OPA.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I generally lost track of all the virtualization layers. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in this case, it's abstractions all the way down. Many times it's proxies all the way down, but yeah, we've got a lot of... Yeah. Layers and of abstraction. Just to
1: make clear, you don't need all these layers, right? Right. You can just have bare metal, nomad binary on there, schedule, whatever you want. It's just for my demo purpose, just so I can throw things away and spin it back up again. I like to containerize it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Nomad a replacement for lambdas. Maybe. Yeah. So
1: with the open fast stuff, you could do that. Yeah. Open fast. I've had Alex on I the think, show before. Name drop. I, I think the nice thing about Lambdas is you're not hosting them. They're there. And then when they get fired off, like you pay for it, but otherwise you don't have to run any infra. Yeah.
0: yeah. Ooh, I think leaking some information. Someone is working on it. We're talking about a a Nomad OS maybe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I believe there's actually like open source projects where people are trying to build an OS where Nomad is basically your system D. Right and just schedule everything because it can do cron and things like that as well if you needed to like re- refresh stuff so
0: so with nomad and containers is it managing the runtimes it's like does it manage the deployment of the runtimes and like versions of the runtime or is that something that just sort of you have to put on the system whether you're using uh, container so- d or docker
1: yeah. So the system needs to have the runtime and then Nomad will pick that up. If you have like very like non-standard config, you can just mm-hmm. configure the driver to to use that. I'm but, assuming the yeah. same
0: with QEMU and, and KVM. Yeah, you it's, need like, to have KVM to have on
1: there yeah. and JVM on the machine.
0: Right. Very cool.
1: Create a task that, like an exec job that down basically does the apt install or whatever. But, like a raw
0: exec that pulls it down and then, yeah, then you can run your yeah. Docker I probably on. wouldn't go that
1: far. I just build an image.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, that's like back when I was doing Swarm, I would do a Docker exec command inside a Swarm service so that I could control Docker from Swarm itself, because there was no way to add Docker drivers from within. Like there was no way to centrally control Docker's configuration or its drivers or anything like that. So we, I did yeah. do some of that nested weird stuff. In fact, I feel like there was a question that somewhere asked about that. I can't find it. Well, anyway, Eric. It's been fantastic, I've learned so much. I now cool. need to go find a project <laughs> to try Nomad with. I'm curious, is Nomad, so for Ubuntu distributions, is it an app package? How do I get uh, it? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, and I'm assuming the documentation gives me all the options for
1: the w- different ways to install it. And Yeah, if you go to the, the website, so nomadproject.io and like you go to download, you have like apt and like all the major packages, there's brew, or you can just grab the binary. It's a go binary, so it'll it's a single binary that you can run pretty much anywhere if you choose the right architecture.
0: Nice. And of course, you just said that nomadproject.io, that's where people can go find more information. Eric's Twitter handle is there, E-R-I-K-V-E-L-D. And you can reach out to him on Twitter. He is. He told me he's available 24 hours a day to troubleshoot all your Nomad problems.
1: No, yeah. Say that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I'll forward my telephone to uh, Schmeigel, who's in chat. It'll be fine. <laughs> now, if anybody has any questions, I'd love to answer them
0: where we can join the the Minecraft server. I'm not sure that you're running a public one, but. We
1: we are actually, we have server.hashicraft.com, which my colleague, Nick and I run. Like we sometimes do tutorials from inside Minecraft, which is like a show we call HashiCraft, which we do for, for fun. So if you want to learn like DevOps from inside a Minecraft world, you can <laughs> check that out. But awesome. we have a server for, for that.
0: <laughs> that's like the the Minecraft version of like Animal Crossing conferences and stuff like that that exactly. I've seen over the pandemic. It's, it's like, why yeah. leave the game when you can just do everything in the game? Well, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And for My a pleasure. long time now, I've been wanting to understand more of the internals of Nomad and see the capabilities. So thank you so much for being here. And thanks to all those in chat that were showing up from HashiCorp or the Nomad fans there. I appreciate you all for showing up and people stick around this show all the time, throwing out Nomad's facts about, oh, well, you could do that Nomad all the time. So, now at least I feel like I know a little something about that. Thanks again, Eric. My pleasure. all right see everyone soon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.